Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We have several readings each Sunday morning. And the third of them, the third of them is referred to as the epistle lesson. Epistle lesson. We have an Old Testament reading or the first reading, depending on whether it's actually coming from the Old Testament or not. We have a psalm, and we have an epistle lesson in preparation for hearing the gospel lesson for the day. Well, I have never used the word epistle outside of the scripture in my life, but I'm sure you all have and do so on a regular basis. <laughs> An epistle is a letter. That's all it is. It's the Greek word for writing a letter, not like a letter of the alphabet, a letter that you write to send to another person. Now, when I was in grade school, they taught us how to write a letter. The first thing you're supposed to put on the top of the letter is the address, where it's going. And then after that, where who it's coming from. Or maybe it's the other way around. I get mixed up sometimes. But that practice of putting the address on the top of the letter is something that's very, very old. In fact, it goes, or at least it was part of the practice already at the time of our Lord in the New Testament. If you take a look at most all of the epistles in the New Testament, they oftentimes begin with the name of the person writing the letter. And if you think about that, uh, that kind of makes sense because these letters were bound together as a scroll with a, a marker on it sometimes to hold it together, maybe out of wax or something else, or just kind of tied maybe with some string. But then as you unroll it, the first thing on there, the first line that's there is who it's from. And so as you read Romans or Corinthians or Galatians or Ephesians, Philippians or Colossians, they'll often start out with, I, Paul. Oh, it's from Paul. Great information. That's good to know. Now I know who it is at seven years left. And each of these is written in a particular circumstance. Similar to the way the prophets give commentary on the history of Israel and providing a God's eye view perspective on what has gone on before. The epistles do a similar but not quite the same job. How is it similar? Well, they certainly provide a God's eye view on things. Differently, though, they unpack the meaning of the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus for the current perspective and events going on in that congregation and provide standard operating procedures for what it's like to live in the world 
in light of what God has done in Jesus Christ and in anticipation of his final appearance. Living in the middle of that trajectory between those two points, his resurrection and ascension, and his current work as the ascended king of all the universe and the imparter of all of the good gifts from God through the Holy Spirit by the word of the Lord, because all of that is happening. <clears throat> the apostles take a look at circumstances in the congregations and they give godly teaching on what people should think about their circumstances and what they should do in order to bear those circumstances out in their communities. Most of the time, the apostle that is writing to them will have visited that place already. They were perhaps even the church planter that made that church from the beginning. Many of Paul's letters are that way. But not all of them are that way. Sometimes he's writing to a place that he's never been in hopes that he will at some point get there or because word has come back to him that various things, various questions need addressing. So some of those are written to specific congregations, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. These are written specifically to those congregations in those cities. They're all dealing with similar circumstances, similar challenges. But then there are general epistles. And these are generally written to all the church to share. The book of James, the books of 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Jude. These are named after their authors because they're provided to all the church to share, not necessarily specific to a particular situation. Though in many occasions, we can kind of pinpoint where and when it was delivered. Then there's a, one more situation where a book is written to an individual person. Paul writes to Timothy. Paul writes to Philemon. And these works are written specifically to give encouragement to that person, but then also are shared with the entire church as well. In the Wednesday evening program provided through the military base at Fort Leonard Wood, the Wednesday evening uh, faith skills program, I will be teaching on the book of Philemon for 10 weeks. How can you draw 21 verses in the 10 weeks? It's only one page. Well, guess what? There's a lot going on in Philemon. And there's plenty to talk about. Instead of doing one verse at a time, we're going to read the entire book each time we meet from a different perspective. We're going to read it just in terms of getting to know the text itself its textual history, some of the things that are options in translation, and really get to know that text with the encouragement that over the course of 10 weeks, perhaps this is one bite-sized, one-page uh, portion of scripture that you can lock away in your mind to memorize it so that it is then useful to the Holy Spirit when you need it in times of concern. 
We'll read it from Paul's perspective. What it was like for him to write the letter and what he was trying to accomplish in writing. We'll take a look at it from Philemon's perspective. Having received the letter, what does it make him think about? We'll take a look at it from the subject of the letter's perspective. Onesim, the slave who ran away and now is coming back with this letter and hopes that he's not going to be executed. We'll take a look at it from the perspective of the other Christians in Philemon's church as they see all of these events play out and what they think about what Paul is doing and how Philemon is responding. We'll take a look at it from the perspective of the Roman soldiers who have incarcerated Paul and are overhearing as he dictates this new way of being that Christians employ, where slaves because of Christ, are treated as free. And how counterintuitive all of that is. And we'll take a look at it from 21st century perspectives. Things that are going on among us now. Many of these things need addressing by the scriptures. And lucky for us, we've got this good book to work with. One example, then, of how the epistles can be useful for growing in the Christian life. And the ramifications of the death, resurrection, ascension, and current reign of God delivered through Jesus by his means of grace and the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? How do we use them here on Sunday morning? I'd invite you to take hold of the hymnal once again and encourage you to refresh your under appreciation of Roman noodles again. XIV is number 14. Page 14 leads us to the first page of Lectionary Part A. And in Lectionary Part A, actually on page XV, page 15, I'd encourage you to take a look at the column that's labeled at the top, epistle slash second reading. And if you look down the page to about halfway, you'll see in that column a series of, uh, of references to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 4, 5, 6, 2 from 7, 3 from 8. 8 must be a really important chapter. It is, by the way. 9, 10, 11, 11, 12 which happens to be where we are today, the last part of 11 leading into 12, and then a few more chapters as well. A short one then with Philippians, which is only a four-chapter uh, four long epistle, and then 1 Thessalonians. If you look back to the Easter season, you'll see that all of the Easter epistles are from 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 3. And if you look back to the epiphany season on the previous page, earlier in the year, we had a series of readings from the first part of 1 Corinthians. Now, in the green season, this ordinary time, the way the epistles work is not necessarily in conjunction with any of the other readings. They're on a cycle of 
continuous reading or the phrase we might use if we're trying to impress folks at the at the cocktail party, continue lexio or lexio continua. A continuous reading. You pick one and you read it through. It's not necessarily connected with the other readings themselves. It's just an opportunity to read through an entire book or to at least get the highlights. Now, sometimes when it skips a chapter, like for example, Romans 2 got skipped, that comes up in other parts of the series on a festival. And so it's not read here during the ordinary time, it's read say on Reformation Day or something like that. And so some of these skip a chapter, but that chapter is gonna appear somewhere else during the year for a different reason. But it gets a little different during the strictly festive parts of the year. Christmas time and Holy Week and Easter Day. Then they do. Then they pick epistle lessons that are specific to that particular moment in God's revelation and in God's salvation history. Then they're customized to go along with the rest of the story. But still, with an eye towards the completion of the mission of God in Jesus Christ and the anticipation of his final appearing. And so the epistles always recognize that here we are as hearers of God's word in between what God has done and what he will do. This also helps us understand how it fits into the rest of the service. Because it celebrates God's word in the Old Testament. It builds on what God's work with the people of Israel had been in preparation for Jesus to come. And the revelation that the Christ had arrived. But also gathers hold of all that Jesus did during his ministry looks to apply that to the life of his people now in the congregations where they gather and then the world in which they serve, and also anticipates the final consummation that Jesus does come again and bring a yes to all of the promises of God in Jesus Christ. The epistle lessons then are geared towards getting through as much of the New Testament as possible over the course of three years. In the long seasons, like we're in now during Pentecost with many Sundays of green, we pick up longer epistles. Romans is 19 chapters. During shorter seasons, we take shorter epistles to try to kind of get them done in the time that we have a lot. And in the course of series A, we have Romans and Philippians and First Thessalonians. They're not going to come up in B and C. No, instead, we'll have 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, James, Hebrews, and Jude. In your C, we'll have Galatians, Colossians, Hebrews, Philemon, 1 Timothy, and 2 Timothy, and 2 Thessalonians. 
Over the course of three years, we try to pick up as much of those readings as possible. The epiphany season always circles back to 1 Corinthians, the first third in year A, the second third in year B, and the third third in year C. Why does it do that? 1 Corinthians. For those of you who have been part of the Sunday morning Bible class ever since I arrived, the answer may be very simple. The epiphany season runs between Jesus' baptism and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' baptism and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the epiphany season before we get to Lent. First Corinthians as a book does the same thing. Cross our participation in it in baptism in chapters one, two, and three. And it finishes with the implications of Jesus' resurrection in chapter 15. And so even the thoughtfulness about what these books are about is also trying to be embedded in when and how they are used among us. Right now. We're in the middle of a long reading season, and so we're in the middle of a long epistle book. And if you're here on occasion, once or twice a month, you may not see the continuity of what is happening. And so I'd encourage you to get to know the fact that these lessons are provided for not just your Sunday morning meditation, but for your meditation all through the week as well to be in continuity with all that God is doing from first to last, in light of what he's accomplished and in light of what is coming as well. Listen today, the epistle lesson from Romans also guided the choice of what hymns we sang today, particularly that first section. In light of what Paul has shared about his own concern for the people of Israel not welcoming the word of the gospel about Jesus and how he would even himself allow himself to be damned just so that his own people would welcome the word about Jesus if that were even possible. And then going through the, the mysterious workings of how God is calling a people who have not previously known him in order to prompt the people who have always known him through the Old Testament to come to know him in the revelation of Jesus Christ as well. It is a mysterious and ironic way of working out the salvation of God's people as Israel is redefined as all who have called on the name of the Lord in the presence of God through Jesus Christ, as Peter did. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. <clears throat> and as he steps back from that, he says, how marvelous, mysterious, and unexpected is God's work. We can't necessarily always judge what God is doing by the results that we experience. In fact, the results that we experience are full of noise, both from our own sins, from other people's sins, from the brokenness of the world, and by the fact that we are terrible antenna, our eyes and ears 
always want to attribute things to ourselves, not to God. And so experience oftentimes leads us astray. But the word of God does not. And cutting through all the noise is the proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord, which Paul lifts up for all of us this time. In the proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord, he encourages each of the people of God in Rome to serve as they have been gifted and as they have been positioned in the world. If you are hospitable, practice hospitality. If you are a teacher, teach. If you are someone working in the world, do so for the glory of God. And in all of these things, both the freedom and the obligation of love come together hand in glove so that the people of God bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the world as they live out their baptisms. Paul describes this reality over and over and over again for all of God's people with many different ways throughout his epistles. John 2, as does James and Peter. Finally, too, the last book of the Bible is also an epistle. It is a letter, the revelation of Jesus Christ to John for the sake of the churches that he writes to. It is a letter. It is an epistle. In fact, it appears as an epistle lesson in the third year cycle during the Easter season. And in case you missed it last time when we read it, we're going to be starting a Bible study on the Revelation in two weeks during our time of Sunday school education. And you're welcome to join us. The last several weeks have been preparation for that, but don't worry. We'll be happy to review everything you need as the questions come up. So we'll keep that going. And we'll keep celebrating the entire council of God as our readings provide us opportunity to teach and preach from them. The epistle lesson takes what is old and puts it in the context of Christ. It leans into the gospel lesson and anticipates Jesus' return. May it be a blessing to you and to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in faith towards Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.